things going on around here. Just make your way as soon as possible. But for the rest of us, say it with me. It's time. Okay, I got two of you. It's time to start. There we go. So we're going to jump off here. We're going to continue with the story of Elijah and Elisha. We're doing Elisha. And I'll try to build the background a little bit as we go. But where we're going to focus today is on 2 Kings chapter 4. That's in the Old Testament, right? And the Old Testament isn't called the Old Testament because it's irrelevant. It's called the Old Testament because it's older. It preceded the new. So that's the idea there. So this is the story of Elisha. He just finished a great victory. He'd helped these kings, Jehoshaphat. We talked about that last week. And he's traveling. And he says, as he's traveling, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared or honored the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons away to be slaves. Not a good situation. Okay, everybody say it with me. Not a good situation. Right? So Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Because this is the first thing. So like the need is overwhelming, and Elijah's like, well, how am I supposed to help you? But immediately he makes this transition because he knows he really can't help anybody, but Jesus can. And he tells me, say this with me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And he said, go and borrow vessels from everywhere. From all of your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall, after you've gotten all the vessels, come into the house, close the door behind you, then begin to pour the oil that you have into each of those vessels and begin to set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out the oil. And it came to pass when the vessels were full, so we got something supernatural going on here, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. So she's got this little production line. One kid brings in the the empty vessel, she pours the oil, the other kid takes it away, it's full, all this stuff. And he said to her, there is no, and when she told her son to go get me another vessel, he said to her, we're all out. And so when she ran out of vessels, the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and she said, I've done what you've told me. And he said, okay, now take the oil, sell it, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Next slide. How many knows that no matter what the problem, Jesus has a solution? You believe that? We ask God for provision, and you know what he gives you? An idea. We ask God for provision, and he gives you a concept. He gives you a direction. We want a Reader's Digest check. We want Jesus to show up and go, here's your check. All for you. Say this with me. Opportunity shows up wearing work clothes. That's right. The nation is impoverished, so the whole country is under poverty. The whole nation is impoverished. Why? Because they had wicked rulers. They had rulers who were not concerned about the benefits of the nation, were not concerned about the welfare of the nation. They had, they had rulers who all they did was take for themselves. And the nation was impoverished. We see this around the world today. We, I was just in, I, we had a blessing and an amazing benefit of going to Washington, D.C. this past week. We were invited with a small group of pastors. It was an amazing experience, completely blown away by it all. Uh, we, they actually sat us right in the front row, which is crazy. Right? We were late getting there, and we sat in the front row, and they give us this little binder, and we're sitting here going like, wow, this is crazy. This is awesome. And we were in the Jefferson Library, and as I looked up on the ceiling, the, the ceiling is very ornate, 
And on the ceiling, directly beneath where we were seated and right in front of where the podium was, is Jesus sitting on his throne. Painted on the ceiling. It's wild. And so one of the people that were there that was in our group is a guy who was running to become the president of Peru. So there's 100 people there. A guy stands up. He says, my name is whatever his name was. I can't remember. He gave me his card. That's how well we got to know each other. I can't remember his name. But he said, I'm running to become a candidate of my country in Peru. And he said, that was his introduction the first night. We all had to introduce ourselves. And so I walked up to him. I go, did you just say you're running to become president of Peru? And he said, yes, I am. So I ended up praying over him. And then uh, the next day, the, the guy who was hosting the event asked him to step up and talk about it. And he said, we have nine presidents who've been removed from office because of corruption. Nine. And he said, this is why I want to become president of Peru. Because he said, the corruption is unbelievable. Uh, many of you, some of you in this room, you're Haitian. Okay? You come from Haiti. Your leaders, and you all are, you should be well aware of it, take everything. It's not that the country doesn't have resources. The country does. It's just that the leader takes it all and the people starve. And we see that around the world. Africa is one of the most resource-rich continents in the world. There are more, there's more wealth of minerals, more wealth of oil. The diamond deposits and the, 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 the precious stone deposits in Africa alone could enrich the entire continent. Why is it it happened? Because the hands of a few don't benefit the many. And what happens, and this is what was going on in Israel, the northern people, they were taking everything and the whole nation was impoverished because of their wicked rulers. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people or to all people. So when there's national sin, all of the people are reproached. When the nation does right and the leaders do what is right, the nation itself, according to the scripture, rises. But when there is a national sin or there is corruption within the ranks of the government to that extreme, the whole nation suffers. And that's what we see happening here in uh, Israel. And so this woman is poor. She was the wife of a prophet. She was widowed. She comes to the prophet boldly because she has no means in herself. She doesn't even look to the culture around her to find her means. She goes to the prophet, or in this case, would be represented of Jesus. She, she goes to the Lord. Why did she go? Because she knew, say it with me, provision, provision. Was, her was her birthright. Did you know provision is your birthright? Did you know that? It's yours by right. It's yours by inheritance. The bread is for the children. David said, I've been young and I've been old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. It belongs to you. Question is, is are you going to go and get it? Question, second question is, are you going to go and ask for it? Provision does not happen by default, but it belongs to you. Do you know that? It's given to you, but it just doesn't magically show up. Oh, you'll have favor and things will just happen. But if you really want provision and you're in a place of need, you need to understand what is rightfully yours. And God expects you to understand what is rightfully yours. He expects you to know that you are a son and a daughter. And he expects you to stand up as a son and daughter. And he expects you to believe him and to access what is rightfully yours. That's true. Come on. Absolutely true. It's yours. And we're, we're, we're so timid that we just kind of, it's like boldness. The kingdom suffers violence. The violent take it by force. There's violent opposition to what belongs to you. Spiritual, demonic opposition to what is rightfully yours. 
And you can either let it run you over or you can stand up and oppose it and take your rightful place and begin to understand what is yours and go and get it. Uh, I share this story often. There's a guy, a very famous guy. If I told you who he was, you would know him. Famous pastor, minister, long, many years. And, the, and, and he said two things. I got to hear him when I was very young in the faith. He died very shortly thereafter. But one of the things he said when I was in a room and he was speaking, and he sa- they asked him a question. They said, what are the two greatest things that you see Christians? He, we're talking about what Christians need to do. And he said two things are. The biggest problem that Christians, he said, they don't know who they are. That's the first thing he said. The believer does not know who they are. And then the second thing he said was they leave their harvest in the field. Leaving their harvest in the field. You think Jesus is going to hand you your harvest? You have to go and get your harvest. You think Jesus is going to sow the seeds for you? You have to sow the seeds. The promise and the multiplication and the blessing and the provision is what is granted. But you must partner with what God has ordained, or it doesn't happen. So this woman lost her husband. And there are cultural consequences. In that ancient world, okay, if a woman lost her husband, she was going to be destitute. Women in that culture, aren't you glad, ladies, if there's one group of people on the planet that should worship and honor the Lord, it's women. Jesus is the great emancipator of women. He sets you free. Woman, you are loose, someone would say. Come on. He brings back to the equal status of the woman. He puts the woman in equal status. Man doesn't do that. Religion doesn't do that. Look at the religions of the world. They do not elevate women to equal status. Only the gospel of the kingdom elevates the woman to equal status. Spiritually, all the way around. It's true. Jesus, nobody loves you ladies like Jesus does. Okay? You tell the story, they're at the well. Jesus is talking to a woman at the well. His disciples are freaking out. They're like, man, he's talking to a woman. Because rabbis didn't talk to women. Well, who made that up? Well, clearly Jesus said, that's not my idea. I don't know where y'all got that idea, but I have no problem talking to women. You know? I'm God. I'm the, I'm the kind of head of all this. You guys made up these rules. They were man-made dogmas. They were man-made rules never instituted or decreed by God himself. You see it in the temple. And we talk about this. As, you know, I hear pastors talk about this as if this was God's idea. It was never God's idea. They have a court of the women. So when God told them to build the temple, he never told them to build a court of the women. Never. There is no decree in the the book of Exodus where the plan of the temple is laid out, nor is it in Ezekiel where it is reiterated, nor is it in Deuteronomy where it is reiterated. Not one place does God say, build me a temple for the women. Keep the women over there. Nowhere. Nowhere. Yet they pose it upon themselves, and we teach it. Oh, and there was the temple of the women. The temple of the women, as if that's what God wanted. He never wanted it. Never wanted it. Court of the Gentiles. He never, he never said that either. That was not in there either. He said, come one, come all. That's what he said. You don't, well, I'm a Jew by birth. You are a Gentile convert. So Gentile convert, you stand over here. Only purebred Jews are allowed into the temple. He never said that. He never said that. It's important to understand the big difference between Jesus' heart and what man imposes. And so this was the imposition of the nation, of the consequences, what she didn't... Women could not... Women could have their own business in this world. 
but they were considered unemployable. That's how the culture worked. Was it right? No. Was it God's way? No. But that's the ugly of it all. In the ancient world, a woman, you couldn't, you couldn't work a job. You could have your own business. That was accepted. So you, basically, you could fend for yourself, but you were considered unemployable in that world by other means. She lost her husband. There was cultural consequences. Her husband was in debt. Okay? Backstory here. Some believe this woman's husband was Obadiah. If that's true, then we know the story that Obadiah supported the prophets. He was the one who put the 50 in the cave and fed them from his own hand. So there'd be a reason why he would be broke. Because Obadiah was probably taking his own resources and making sure the men of God were supplied for. And then suddenly he dies. Now, there's no indication of that in Scripture, but a lot of theologians believe because of the way this is related. Cultural consequences, she had no way of paying her debt. In that culture, too, if you couldn't pay your debt, they had a debtor's prison for you. <laughs> Isn't it a happy world? You can't pay your debt? Too bad. We're going to take your sons, and they're now going to work for me to pay that debt off. That was how it worked. It wasn't right, but it was. So her sons became indentured servants. So I want to talk to you just a brief moment about debt. So that, that, that system right there, again, the, the indentured servant system, was not, again, according to God's heart. You, God allowed them to become willing indentured servants. Willing. They could willingly say, listen, loan me some money, and I'll work for you for seven years. That was allowed. But they were not allowed to charge interest one to the other. So if, if you were a believer, and you were loaning to another believer, God said you can loan to them, but you're not to charge them interest. You can loan to the Gentiles, to the non-believers, and you can charge them interest, but you are not to charge your believer, the fellow believer's interest. And nowhere does he say they can only indenture themselves willingly. They cannot, you cannot forcibly indenture them. Yet, that's what they were doing. They were forcing them indentured. I want to say this first. Greed, the greed of the collector, he demanded immediate payment. So her husband dies, this guy shows up and goes, I want my money now. Right now. He didn't work. There's nowhere where he worked out a plan and say, look, I understand you lost your husband. Here's the debt. Let's talk about the terms. Let's renegotiate this. Let's see how we can repay this. What can we do? What can we not do? That would be a system of justice. This was unjust. Somebody would say, well, he had a right to collect his debt. That is true. But he did not have a right. Even though he had a right to do everything that he was allowed, he did. It didn't mean that what he did was ethical. And it didn't mean that what he did was moral. Yes, he had a right to do it, but it didn't mean that that in and of itself was right. Do you understand what I'm saying? He came and imposed a wicked, he came and imposed essentially greed. One of the products of greed is always cruelty. Greed brings cruelty. That's what it brings. Just by way of debt, I want you to understand, Christian, there's, everybody say it with me, good debt, debt. bad debt. debt. Okay? Say this with me. Consumer debt debt. is bad debt. What is that? That's buying, your, house, buying your, uh, your living room furniture at 10% interest, no payments till March. If you can pay it off by March, or no, no interest till March, you pay it off by March, you should do it. But if you're financing luxuries, that's considered consumable debt because why? It depreciates. So you go out and you buy that $2,500 leather sofa. Looks good. You can shine it. But that sofa in five years is not going to be worth more than what you, you you purchased it for. Do you understand that? That's called a depreciating asset. That would be considered bad debt. 
I'm going to give you another one. Your car, okay, is considered bad debt. That doesn't mean you shouldn't buy a new car. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have a nice car. But you should consider the car when you're purchasing it because cars are never worth more than when you first purchase them. Right? I bought a used car. We financed it. It was worth $2,000 less the moment I drove it off the lot. How do I know this? Because two weeks later, the guy goes, hey, you bought a used Hyundai. Why don't I show me and show you the new Hyundai? And he's like, I could probably give you the same terms. I'm like, okay. So we sit down. And I'm like, go ahead, you know, because we're getting a wall change or whatever. I was like, run the, run the numbers. He runs the numbers. And he goes, well, you know, you're upside down about $1,500 on the car. I'm like, I just bought it a month ago. How can I be upside down $1,500 on the car? <laughs> But we need cars, you understand that? So the point is not to not buy cars, the point is to consider it, you know? Do you really need, you know, they wanna upsell you, do you really need that? That's bad debt. Consumer debt is bad debt. Buying things simply for the sake of luxury that you have to finance is bad debt. You understand that? Good debt, buy a house. That's good debt. A house, everybody say it with me, a house that I can afford. That's, that's the key. Good debt is appreciable assets. So a good debt, it's okay to say, well, I don't know, I can't go into debt and buy a house. That's probably the place you need to go into debt. If you have a house that you can afford, it, it is an appreciable asset. Real estate works on a 10-year cycle. So even if, the odds are, don't buy it, even if you bought at the top of the market, you'd probably have to sit on the house and within 10 years it would come back around. That's the statistics on real estate. Okay, how do you know? I used to do this for a living, right? So houses are appreciable assets. And you say, I'm upside down on my house. People that were upside down on their houses seven years ago, uh, clue phone, are not upside down on their houses now. They're not. I have a lot of friends that maybe are evened out or they're a little bit under, still a little bit underwater, but they're nowhere near as underwater as they were when the market went off the cliff. Because real estate operates typically on a 10-year cycle. You understand that? It's an appreciable asset. You almost always make money in, in, in the housing market, almost always. In other words, the asset, you pay $150,000 for it, and within 10 years, it's going to be worth one seventy dollars or one eighty. dollars at, at least, you're going to get twenty dollars or $30,000 out of that. At least. At least. That's typically how the market works. That's a good debt. That's good debt. We need to understand the difference between good debt and bad debt, and we need to make wise choices. Because if you'll make wise choices, then you will move from where you are to where you need to be. Problem is, is most people start with nothing. And as soon as they get a chance to get something, they overindulge and you buy all the stuff and you're like, what did I do? You know what I mean? It's like Christmas time. I never thought the credit card bills would actually come to my house. I'm sorry, is this my neighbor's address? This can't be my bill. So the collector came, was greedy, put, her on, put, a, put a lot of cruelty over her. Next slide. She goes to the prophet. He's a type of the Holy Spirit. She calls on her birthright. Very, very important. Some of you, maybe you're in this place and you've made an absolute financial wreck of yourself. If you will believe God, Jesus has a way for you. Amen. He has a way. It will come through his counsel. It will come through his spirit. It will come through his anointing. But Jesus has a way for you. Come on. It's true. Christian, you are an unconquerable people. Unconquerable. The only way you become conquered is when you quit or you make an agreement apart from what God has said. And you begin to follow a way that God has not spoken. That's the only way the Christian is defeated, is by quitting. 
if the Christian, even in the worst of circumstances, will lift up their eyes to the hill from whence comes their help and hear what the Lord would say and begin to market and put themselves in a position and follow the ways that God would have them to go, your life will change. The gospel's not Burger King. It's not your way and now. I want it my way and I want it now, okay? Love Burger King. Great company. All the good stuff. Like the Whopper, okay? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, you know, this is kind of thing, right? But the point is, is that we're conditioned to think we get it our way and we get it now. That's not the way the kingdom works. The kingdom doesn't work that way. God will turn it around within a season, within a period of time. He'll bear fruit in season, but you have to commit yourself to it and commit yourself to the plan. This is the story of the woman with the issue of blood that I quote all the time. I figured I'd just at least throw the passage up there. This is Luke 8.43. woman having an issue of blood for 12 years. She had some serious problems that were going on for 12 years. Okay? That's a long time. 12 years is a long time. She spent all of her money on doctors, and she couldn't find help. She gave everything that she had. She didn't have anything. She came up and touched the border of Jesus' garment, and immediately she was healed. Jesus looked around. And he said, who touched me? All denied it. And I want you to get the picture of this, right? So Jesus probably looking through the crowd, looks at the woman, who touched me? And she went, <laughs> not me. <laughs> Peter says, who touched you? What are you saying? Who touched me, man? The crowd's mobbing you. And Jesus said, somebody touched me because virtue, power left me. And the woman saw that she could not be hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared in the presence, everybody say, she declared, she declared. in the presence of all the people, right? What she had done and that she touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus said to her, say it with me, daughter. daughter. That's right. Be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Only place in the Bible where Jesus calls a woman daughter. Only place. No other place does the Lord look at a woman and say, daughter. She grabbed the hem of his garment. She knew what was hers by birth. She knew healing is mine. She knew this is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. If I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be whole. She knew what was hers. She pressed in to get it. There was a crowd, right? We think Jesus is going to come find us. Dude, you got to press into him. You got to move through the crowd. You got to get down on your hands and knees. You got to put a knife in the teeth and a rag on your head. And you got to do whatever it takes to get what God said you could have. You understand that? This is what it looks like. That woman probably put a rag on her head, put a knife in her teeth, and said, I'm going in. (laughs) I don't know if she crowd surfed, but, you know, she she got there somehow. (laughs) Elijah says to her, what shall I do for you? We have to align. You have to know. She had an epiphany. I'm a daughter. Healing is mine. Provision is mine. Why am I looking to them? Jesus doesn't have a play with me. Jesus doesn't have a problem with doctors. He has a problem being second. That's what he has a problem with. No issues with physicians. Man, I've been in and out of the hospital so many times this year, and I'm convinced the hospital makes you worse. I am 100% convinced the hospital. You see people going there, I'm like, man, I just, I just went in for a checkup, and I'm here on an EKG machine, and I got all the, you know, I'm like, what happened to you? <laughs> it's true. He doesn't have a problem with doctors. He has a problem being second. Elijah says to her, what do I do for you? He says, tell me what you have in the house. And she said, I have nothing but oil. Say this with me. What What do do I have in my house? Next slide. 
The prophet didn't start a welfare program. He gave her an opportunity. I'll just let that settle in for a minute. He didn't start a welfare program. He gave her an opportunity. He saw that she was capable. He saw that she had something that the Lord would work with. And he said, here's your opportunity. Here's what we do. Oh, I don't know. That sounds like work, Kevin. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know about that. We live in a great time of opportunity. Did you know that? We live in the greatest time in the history of the world as far as opportunity is. And you can either see it as that or you can see it as a negative opportunity. Something called friction and traction, okay? Those of you that are in the internet world, you can go into a mall or wherever. I don't even think malls are going out of business anyway, but anyway, wherever, wherever people are, and you can see a group of kids standing there looking on their phones and you can go, how disgusting that everybody's looking, at, looking on their phones when they're all together. Or you can look at that and go, there's an opportunity there. You can look at it either way you want. So you can take friction and turn it into traction. This woman was given an opportunity. You have an opportunity. We all have an opportunity here. So I don't know if you have an economic need this morning, and maybe you're working a job and it just isn't getting it done. Or maybe there's some other things that you would like to do, but you just can't do it because you're working a job all the time. I got news for you. You have an opportunity. You have the internet, you have it in your house, you have it on your phone. It's called a side hustle, okay? You have an opportunity to do a side hustle. People say to me, oh, Kevin, I don't know how to do, you know, look, this woman had to do something. She had to get vulnerable, she had to go and talk to people, she had to get her needs met, she had to say, look, I need to borrow some vessels. She had to actually go out there and actually do something. She wasn't allowed, the prophet was not gonna allow her to not do something. She had to participate in what God was saying. If you're lacking provision and you're looking for something to do, you have an internet that enables you to, create, to sell stuff. Did you know that? You have an opportunity. I used to be in the retail space, in the retail business. And had the internet been around back in the day when I was running the store, I would have never owned a store because of the overhead and the expenses and the limitations of the market. Or at very least, if I had the store, I would have put all my stuff online as well. You have an opportunity on the internet with, with, with a space that's open 24-7, seven days a week. You don't know how to sell anything? Well, guess what? There's platforms already out there. You got eBay and whatever. There's like 10 of them, you know, th th where you can sell stuff. You have an opportunity to where you can create an income for yourself on the side by selling stuff. You can create stuff. If you're, you're a graphic designer or a writer or an editor or any of that stuff, there's a website called Fiverr. You can actually sell your services on Fiverr and get people from around the world to come and, and, and offer you payment for jobs. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Fiverr? Research studies. Okay, I'll give you a couple examples here, right? You know how you can create stuff. So what is it that you do well, right? So I was thinking about you, actually, this morning. If you're like somebody who sings, because I was trying to get some examples, if you're a singer... Create a series of videos that coaches people how to sing. Create a website, create a, whatever, wherever the space is, create a YouTube, whatever it is, and begin to sell them. You know, 30 bucks, you know, five set lessons on how to be a, how to be a vocalist. You know, you know, I mean, I don't know, figure it out. So I don't have video equipment. You have a phone. The video technology on your phone is as good as any type of video camera that's been around in the last 30 years. You ever seen what those phones can do? Are you, ki are you kidding me? Even the pictures, you're like, wow, get rid of the Nikons, get rid of this stuff. I mean, we're literally throwing all our stuff away, and it's all on the phone. The technology is unbelievable, and the access to technology, selling something. I knew a guy, he put up a series of things that were insanely simple, it's insanely simple. 
and he was a professor. And he said, the average type, the average size of my master's class, or my, my advanced class, was 25 or 30 students. He said, so over 10 years, the most people I could influence would be 30. So he decided to put a little bit of his courses and a little bit of his study online. He compacted it, and he sold over uh, 7,000 of them at 50 bucks a pop. 7000 at $49.99. Do the math. That's $350,000. I told Sherry, even if that guy took five years to do that, he's still making about seventy grand a year selling what he would just simple stuff that he was teaching in the class, in his master's class. And he said, I've been able to influence way more people. In 10 years, I would be able to influence uh, 300. In whatever, five years, I've been able to influence 7000 so let's say you put together, Carmen, a series of how to sing on the whatever. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm completely spitballing. And you sold it for 50 bucks, and you sold 100 of them. Would $5,000 in a year help you? Yeah. Would it help? Absolutely it would. So you're not going to get rich off. It doesn't matter if you get rich. You're going to make extra money. My daughter paid down $10,000 in debt in less than a year. Say it with me. $10,000 in debt. Daddy didn't do it. My daughter did it. How? She did research studies. She did jury things. She did all kinds of these things on the side at the same time working a full-time job. Worked a full-time job, took her days off, took her evenings off, whatever it needed, and she went and did jury, jury scenarios. They paid her for that. She did research studies. She had to try three different kinds of toothpaste and write a report on it and get $150 for that. Well, I don't want to try other kinds of toothpaste. I don't know if I want to do that. But she had to put herself out there. I got a friend of mine. He does Airbnb as an apartment in um, uh, Orlando. Not even, like, outside of the area. He grossed $40,000 in eight months leasing that place out, Airbnb. $40,000 in eight months. You live in Miami, people. There's two, Orlando and Miami, more people come to Orlando, but the second, running a close second is Miami. So if you have a place or anything, like, you make more money. There's, these are opportunities to make money. Another way is to reduce your expenses. So here's this woman. She finds herself in, in, in a place. Here's this woman who finds herself in a very bad place. She feels like she has no provision. Her husband was her provider, and she finds herself in debt, and she doesn't know what to do. And the prophet gives her a word, and he gives her a plan. I'm here to awaken your eyes and open your eyes to the opportunity that exists right in front of you. Reduce your expenses. That's another great way to help, help, help yourself out. Lower your expenses. Begin to make... I'll give you another one. My daughter has a friend. Single mom, pregnant, with a baby. She has a baby and she's pregnant. Her boyfriend, all over the place, in and out, doesn't know what, you know, kind of that. She's left on her own. She doesn't know what she's going to do. She, she, goes, she goes and buys one of those Cricut printers. You guys know what the Cricut printer is? You know what I'm talking about? And she begins to do personalized um, uh, ornaments and other little things, and she does $10,000 in three months. October, November, and December, she did $10,000. Single mom, essentially, pregnant with a daughter, doesn't know what she's going to do. That's a new car, people. That's, that's something. I don't know what that is for you, but that's something. Oh, I don't know. That just sounds like work, Kevin. I don't know. I don't know. That's hard work. Say it with me. Laying bricks is hard work. This is not hard work. You want hard work? Go lay bricks. Go do concrete work out in the blazing South Florida sun. That's hard work. This is not. 
You have an opportunity, even if you work a full-time job, you can come home at night, get yourself a little dinner, and you can work on the business that you want to have in three to four hours a night. By taking three or four hours, oh no, I gotta, man, I gotta watch my shows. <laughs> That's when I binge watch Netflix. <laughs> you can create something in that time period. Now, let me give it to you in the real world. It might take you three or four months to decide what you want to do. It might take you three or four months, you ready for it, of research in order for you to set the thing up. But once you set it up, that thing has the potential to run all the time. You understand that? It has the potential. You say, well, I don't even know where to start. I've got a word for you. I'm going to spell it for you. G-O-O-G-L-E. You may not know what to do, but I guarantee you there's somebody out there that does. Somebody's out. How to make money with the Cricut printer. How, you know, I mean, there's, you're going to find just, well, I looked two videos and I just didn't seem to. Look at 50 videos and then tell me you didn't find something. We think on such a limited scale. And you know why? Most of your jobs do not allow you to creatively think at all. Most people are robots. <laughs> Got to follow the policy manual. <laughs> There's no creative thinking in most jobs. Entrepreneurial thinking requires creative thinking. Come on. Kingdom thinking requires creative thinking. It requires it. You have to leverage the opportunity. So what happens if you took the $10,000? Let's say you made $10,000, and let's say your net was six. Okay, fours in costs, net six, great. What if you took that six and began to turn that six into another opportunity? You see what I'm saying? No, I'm going to take that six and I'm going to buy me a car. Well, there's your problem thinking. Take the six, or at least a good portion of the six, reinvest it and leverage it to another level. You understand that? Yeah. This, is, this is prosperity mindsets. This isn't something that's going to come to you naturally. If you want to be successful, you must study success. Success does not come by default. You have to become a student of success. It's true. It's just absolutely true. You have to get around people who think differently. I love to be, the people I bond with the most are entrepreneurial thinkers. I get on, we're like, whoom, right in the same language. Immediately. Immediately. Ministry or entrepreneurship, business-minded, boom, right in my lane. Boom, I'm on the superhighway. We'll talk all day. Next slide. Stop. Say this with me. Stop, stop. Waiting, waiting for what I'm going to say this. I'm going to stop, going to stop. Waiting, waiting for what I want, and I'm going to start working with what I have. This woman only had a little. I don't have much. No excuse. I only had, she said, all I have was a little bit of oil. That's all I have, a little. She only had a little. She was to do it by faith. She had to offer what she had, and she had to trust God for what she needed. She was to borrow from others. Some of you, you're believing God to help you and change your season and change where you're at. You have dreams in your heart. Somebody said, no, I'm feeling really good economically. Everything's going well for me. Well, how about you believe God to become an abundant giver? How about you say, Lord, I'm giving this, but I want to do this, and if you'll bless this business, I'll give it to you. What would happen there? And I won't give you a portion of it. I'll give you the majority of it. What would happen there? Say, how do you know that works? Because it's worked for me. I said, Lord, if you'll do this, I'll give, you, I'll give this. 
And overnight, I wouldn't say overnight, but all of a sudden I started to notice there's a, there's a multiplication happening here that wasn't there before because I'm offering it to him and not to myself, you see? And so Jesus will give you, a, he will expand it, he will give you what he's ordering, he'll pay for it, and he'll give you a tip. She was to borrow from others. What do you borrow from others? Borrow some ideas. Some of you, you want to do something? Get some ideas. Somebody's like, man, I got a cricket printer. I never thought about making money with it. Well, you borrow that idea. Go and borrow it. Well, that's not original. There's nothing original. Nothing. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing original. Everybody's idea is a composite of somebody else's and somebody else's idea. Most ideas are the composite of, of multiple ideas, and they form it into one idea, and then they call it their own. There's nothing original. I got news for you. Borrow an idea, right? You know you got a good mindset when you look at what somebody else does, and you go, I can do that better. Now you're in the lane. You know, I can, do, I can improve on that. I can do that better. There's something I can do. She was to borrow from others. She was to borrow ideas, borrow faith. Jesus was going to, say this with me, Jesus will make the provision, but I must make the preparation. Mm-hmm. You have to make preparation for the provision. It doesn't happen by default. Listen, here's, I'm going to show you how God provides, right? Let's check my time. i got five minutes. i got to make fast. <laughs> I'm going to make this fast. God provides this way, and you, you determine where you want to be. You get the glorious opportunity of determining where you want to find yourself in the lane of God's provision, in the world of God's provision. Survival, success, significance. You don't have to do a thing, and God will provide for you. In season, out, rain upon the just, upon the unjust. He'll take care of you, but you're going to survive. And you're going to constantly be going, man, I made it by the skin of my teeth. Whew, I just survived, I just survived, I just survived, I just survived. God supplies all my needs, but man, I'm just surviving. He will provide for you that way. But you're going to stay at that level of survival. There has to be a shift, not with Jesus, with you, in order to go from survival to success. What is success? Success is having enough and being able to share. That's the biblical definition of success. Right? So pick a number. I don't know what it is. Begin to believe God. Have enough for you and enough to share. Significance is where you begin to be provided for and become an engine and a generator of change within the world. So you're, you can't do much change if you're just surviving. You can't influence a neighborhood if you're just surviving. You can't impact very many people if all you do is have a little bit of crumbs for yourself and you're barely getting by. You have to make a transition and a mindset change that moves you from survival to success. And some of you are successful. You're at that level of success. You know, you feel like, okay, God's taking care of me. I go, okay, and I got enough to help other people. I got enough to give them. I'm doing all these things. That's great. Your challenge is to go to significance because that's the high calling is where we're able to impact the world. We're able to be funders. What's the church doing? How much does the church need for that? Boom, we got it. I'll give you a check for half of it tomorrow. You think that's crazy? I got a friend that asked exactly what happened. He's doing a thing. He's got all these crazy things going on. This guy's got amazing things. He's got school. He's got an orphanage. He's, and he's starting to open up a home for uh, pregnant mothers. He just had all that built. And one of the guys drove by him and said, hey, his name's Lonnie. He said, hey, Lonnie, I saw you standing on the railroad tracks the other day, or out by the railroad tracks. What were you doing? This is in North Florida. And he said, I was, I was looking at a building, and I was praying and believing God for the building. And the guy looks at him and goes, well, what do you want to do with a building? 
And he said, well, there's a VA center here in, the, in town, and the, the vets can't sleep. The vets have nowhere to go. He said, I find them sleeping in the woods all the time. And he said, so I was going to do transitional housing for the vets in between this and the VA. I was going to buy the building. I was believing God to buy the building and begin to minister to these vets. Well, I feel the glory. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh. I was going to buy. Come on. He needed a $50,000 down payment. The guy showed up at his office the next day and gave him the check. And you say, oh, that's out there, that's out there. No, this guy determined in his heart that I'm going to live a life of significance. I'm not going to survive. He moved to success. He's at a light, and he begins to process through success, and he said, I'm going to reach higher, and I'm going to be someone who's significant in this world. And I'm going to make my mark on the gospel, and I'm going to give into the kingdom in order that that may happen. How many knows that $50,000 down payment on that building, which they were renovating when I was there? That's how I was up there, and he was showing it to me. And he said, yeah, this is our, he took us upstairs. He's got four apartments above this thing. Downstairs, he has a, like a thrift store. So downstairs is the thrift store that generates money for the, for the, the shelter for the pregnant mothers. And right beside it, he's doing the VA thing. Right, like it was down the street or something. It was in the same area. And he's doing it. And they were under, they were under construction doing all that. That 50 grand that that guy laid down which is nothing, it's just paper. He put the money down, that is going to pay dividend after dividend after dividend after dividend after dividend. Because not only is he ministering to these VA guys, he's able to now, now, now not only they're just providing housing, these are spirit-filled people, okay? Lonnie is not shy about the gospel. He's not saying, hey, we're just going to do this for social justice reasons. No, he said, we're going to do this, and we're going to proclaim to you the gospel of the kingdom, we're going to identify your spiritual needs and we're going to reach into that. We're going to identify your emotional needs and we're going to reach into that. We're going to identify your physical, uh, mental, and whatever your needs are, we're going to reach into that. Gospel, we've got to change the way that we think. You don't think Jesus wants to do that? Of course he does. Some might say, was this a prosperity gospel? Yes, it is. But it's a prosperity gospel, not the way we've taught it. We've taught prosperity gospel into the understanding that it's all about you. It's all about your car, your house, your this, your that, your that. That's what it's all about you. How glorious you can be in this life. That's not the purpose of God's blessing. God's purpose is that you benefit from the blessing, but the, the, the ideal purpose of the blessing is that you become a substantial giver and you become a substantial person in order that his house may be glorified, in order that his name may be glorified, in order that he may be honored above all things in a city through the lives of his people. That's the issue. She had to empty the vessels, right? Okay, so she's going to borrow. They had to make provision. Very vulnerable. Very vulnerable experience. She had, you know, when God's calling you to do something that you've never done, you're going to feel vulnerable, so get over it. You're going to feel weak, so get over it. You're going to feel uncertain, so get over it. You're going to feel like you don't know what you're doing and you don't have what it takes. Get over it. Look to the Holy Spirit. If you could do it, you would have already done it. Holy Spirit always calls you beyond yourself. He always calls you into something that you don't have the ability to do because he supplies the means, the power, the confidence, all of that. He's the one that supplies. He gives seed to the sower. The vessels had to be empty. When you present something to the Lord, you've got to empty yourself of your attitude, Christian. You've got to get rid of the negative attitude. You've got to get rid of the negative mindsets. You've got to get rid of the thinking in terms of limitation. You have to empty the vessel and let the oil be poured in. And she had to pour it out. Next, last slide. She was to shut the door. She made the preparations. She released what she had, and she waited in intimacy. Intimacy. It's all part of this process. You see it over and over and over again. 
when God is working, he's working through command, direction, obedience, all these things, but also intimacy is always a huge part of it. He supplies seed to the sower, bread for the eater. And he will multiply the seed that you've sown. He'll multiply it. Some of you are givers. You ever call God out on that one? Lord, I've been giving for years. Multiply that seed. Lord, I've been giving for years. Not only, and I see your blessing, acknowledge what he's done, but God, I want you to multiply what I'm giving so that I can give even more so that the harvest can be even greater. Have you ever asked God for that? That's next level thinking, Christian. He will increase it while you are enriched in everything with all liberality, which causes thanksgiving to God. God has no problem with you being blessed. He has no problem with it at all. Poverty does not glorify God in any way. It's not his glory. It just isn't. Neither is extremities where I'm above everyone and look how magnanimous I am and tink, tink, throw a little, little offering in the, you know, little tip. <laughs> it's a good point to tell the story. I knew a very wealthy man. Every time he would come in, he would wave at me from across the room. Usually, when he was standing by the offering box, he'd be like, write out his check, drop it in there. You know, didn't know his offering until one day he said, I don't, I don't really care. My thing is honor the Lord, you know. So he decides to sit me down and wants to know some things. And I'm like, well, that's great. You know, I don't have a problem telling you anything. And he goes, uh, you know, I gave $5,000 to the church last year, Pastor. There's a few things I'd like to suggest to you, some changes you'd like to make. And I listened to him. I said, okay. I said, well, as far as the $5,000 that you gave last week, we're incredibly, or last year, we're incredibly grateful for that. And we honor Jesus for your, for, your, for your gifts. But you don't look like a guy who lives on 50000 a year. I mean, the guy, has, he's loaded. And so I said, I have people that work at multiple part-time jobs that give equally to you, if not more. And so while your gift is, is encouraged and, and, and honored, it's not something that's going to buy influence within the church, you see. That was the idea that he was trying to influence and trying to throw a number at me. But the guy made way more than what he gave. And he thought, well, this is, I told him, I said, you're not a tither, you're a tipper, which is fine. Be a tipper. You can be a tipper. Okay, that's where you're at. But don't expect more than the level of the tip. She was to sell everything, get out of debt, and live off the rest. Ready? Jesus set her up in business. He didn't just meet the need. You understand? God didn't just meet the need. He established her with an income source. Who in this room wants to believe God that he will no longer just meet the need, but he'll establish an income source for you? We can believe him for these things, and we should believe him for these things. He supplied and he provided the income. So let's just pray. We're gonna, I'm going to lead you in a little prayer. Just say, Holy Spirit, open up my eyes to everything that you want to show me. Open my heart. Open my understanding. Show me possibilities. Show me where I am and show me where I can be and show me where you have called me to be. I want to be extravagant because you are extravagant. I want to go higher because you are seated higher. I want to live according to my identity. I want to rise to the level of my birthright. In Jesus' name, I give myself to you, Lord. Show me, lead me, guide me. In Jesus' name, let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. 
and may he give you peace, and may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. But for the rest of us, it is time to start. We've been talking about a series we've been doing is uh, Tale of Two Prophets. Let's say it together. Ready with me? One, two, three. It's time. Wow, you guys are awesome. To start. There we go. So we've been doing a series called A Tale of Two Prophets, and we talked about Elijah, and we're kind of in the third week of Elisha. So what I'm going to do is we kind of progress through the message. I'll give you a little bit of the background as we go. Normally I set up the background before, but I'll kind of, I wanted to intertwine it a little bit in the message this morning. So I'm going to start with 2 Kings chapter 4. And it says this, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is now coming to take my two sons away as slaves. Everybody say, not good. That's right. So Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, everybody say this, what? Come on, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then the prophet said to her, go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors, empty the vessels, do not gather just a few, and when you have come in, after you've gathered the vessels, bring them into your house and close the door, and then pour the oil that you have into each one of the vessels that you have collected, and set aside the full ones. So we have some supernatural occurrence is about to take place here. So she went from him, shut the door, her and her sons who brought her the vessels, and she poured it out. And now it came to pass that when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's no more. So the oil ceased. When she stopped putting out vessels, the oil stopped. Then she came to the man of God and said, I've done what you've said. I've done everything that you've asked me to. And he gives her another set of instructions. And he says, go and sell the oil, pay your debt. And everybody say this, live on the rest. All right, next slide. So here's the deal. The nation, so here's what we're talking about. Elisha is in the kingdom of the north, the northern part of Israel. The nation had divided. The north was following wicked kings. And because of the wickedness of the national leadership, the nation was impoverished. The Bible says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. My wife and I shared this story in first service, but it bears, it bears witness We had a great opportunity last week to go to Washington, D.C. We were invited with a small group of pastors and leaders, and we were invited to not only tour the Capitol, but we actually went to a briefing. And so they brought in all these Christian congressmen and senators to talk to us. The funny part of the story is is that, so like the first day after the Capitol thing, we got off the plane, we're running around, Sherry's like, let's sightsee. So we're we're literally off the plane, running around Washington, D.C., sightseeing. Then the Capitol tour went to like 10 o'clock at night, 
And so we're exhausted, and they're like, oh, yeah, tomorrow starts at 8.30 in the morning. Make sure you're here for 8.30 in the morning. I told Sherry, I said, that's not going to happen. There's just like, no way. So we got there like 10 after 9. It wasn't, the event really wasn't going to start till 9, but they wanted you there at 8.30. So we got there late. Walked in, it was at the Library of Congress, the Jefferson Building, beautiful, beautiful building, or beautiful room. And so they bring us in, and where they have two seats. Here's the podium, and here's our two seats. Literally right in the front row, okay? So it was like crazy. And uh, on the ceiling was Jesus on his throne. So right literally in the middle of the room in the Jefferson Library is Jesus sitting in glory. And like glory's coming out of him, angels are around him, all this other stuff. So if you don't think the gospel mattered in the history of our country, you, have, you don't understand our country. And th- so the, premise, the purpose of the thing was spirituality and the roots of Christianity and the gospel in our nation. It was phenomenal. It was off the chain. But one of the guys that was there with us, the night before we went to the, the, the library, one of the guys that was there, we all had to introduce ourselves, right? So I'm making a point out of this. One of the guys that stood up said, my name is whatever his name was. And he said, and I am a candidate for the presidency of my country of Peru. And then he sat down. And then everybody else is introducing themselves. And then they went into a break, and I'm sitting there myself. I go, did that dude just say that? So I got up at the break, and I walked up. I said, did you just tell me that you're a kid? Did you just say to the room that you're a candidate for the presidency of Peru? And he said, yeah. And so I ended up praying for him and everything. The next day, they invited him to come up and talk a little bit. You know, he was there, and he shared that there had been nine leaders of his country consecutively removed from office because of corruption. Nine. Count them. Nine. Okay? And the nation was suffering immensely because of the corruption of the leadership. This is what's going on in Israel. There's poverty everywhere because of the leadership. Some of you, you come from island nations, in particular Haiti. Haiti would probably go to the front of the line on this one. It's not a lack of resources for Haiti. It's not a lack of ability for Haiti. The issue is that they have a government that just consumes it all and leaves the people impoverished. We see it over and over again. When righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to every people. All of the people suffer when there's national sin. All of the people suffer when there's corruption to that level within the government. Righteousness in your government matters. Honesty in your government matters. It matters. There shouldn't be double standards. There should be one standard. We're equal before the law. And when your government becomes corrupt and consuming in and of itself, the nation suffers. Africa, I shared with Africa. If anybody knows about the continent of Africa, it's one of the most resource-richest continents in the world. There are so many minerals there and oil there and precious stones and diamonds that, that would enrich the entire land. There's so much of it there. But yet that continent is probably the most poverty-stricken. I don't think there's another one that's, that's equal to that, but there's some that are close. That entire continent is so poverty-stricken. Why? Because of the corruption within the government. The consuming nature of the government that says, we're going to take everything and we're going to give nothing to you. This is where Israel finds themselves. They're they're in a situation where their national leaders have consumed it all and there's poverty. There's a widow woman, her husband has died, and she has no means of providing for herself. Her husband was a prophet and he had died and they had left debt. There was debt that was behind. The issue with this woman, she lost her husband... There is provision was her birthright. She comes to the prophet because she understands that she is a daughter of covenant and that provision is promised to her. Did you know that? 
If you're a Christian here this morning, you are an heir, you have an inheritance, and provision is promised to you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Provision is yours by birthright, but your provision does not happen by default. In other words, it doesn't show up with a Reader's Digest check and a bunch of balloons and some confetti. Hey, your provision is here. Provision shows up as opportunity, and provision shows up wearing work clothes. That's what happens. This woman goes to the prophet. She says, listen, she goes before the Lord. The prophet would be symbolic and the anointed one because we all can hear from the Lord now. But the prophet was one who spoke on the Lord's behalf. She goes before the one who represents the Lord and tells him the problem. Her husband, the loss of her husband in that culture had consequences. This is the thing. And I went off on this in first service, so maybe I'll go off on it again. But I want women to understand this. The greatest emancipator in the history of humanity of women is Jesus Christ. Ladies, if there's anybody in the room that should worship Jesus, it should be you. Your government doesn't put you on equal status. And if your government has that idea, it's found in the Gospels. Okay? So they didn't get this idea because they all sat around. If you look at the governments of the world and you look at the history of the world, you look at the power structures of the world, you look at the religions of the world, all of them are repressive to women. All of them. None of them put women in equal status except Jesus. He's the only one that elevates the woman to equal status. He elevates her to equal status before him in the kingdom. He elevates her to equal status within the marriage. You say, wait a minute, the husband's... Come on, the husband... I got one woman. That's all I need. Help me help you, ladies. Equal status within the marriage. And somebody would argue, well, the husband's supposed to lead the home. It's a complementarian relationship. Okay? My wife runs the house, okay? I don't care, how, come on, I got one. I don't care how much I think I'm in charge, that woman runs the house. I tell this before, my son will come to me and he goes, Dad, you're in charge. Why? And I go, your mom runs the house, okay? Just going to be very, very clear here. Your mother runs the house, right? Mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. It's the way it is. Mommy runs the house. I'm the head, she's the neck, she turns it. So that's pretty much it. Look here, look at so... <laughs> So it's a complementarian relationship. That's what it is. I have my strength. She has her strengths. We come together. We form a whole. The two become one. She was made from his side, not from his heel. She was made from his side, not from his head. Jesus reestablishes the position of the woman. You see it in the Gospels. Jesus is at the woman at the well. You guys know that story? Okay. His disciples come up, and what are they doing? They're freaking out. Why are they freaking out? They're like, man, Jesus is talking... He was talking to a Samaritan woman. That was the first thing. But it wasn't the Samaritan part that freaked him out. It was the fact that he was talking to a woman. Because rabbis didn't talk to women. That was the way the culture was. It wasn't the way that God set it up. Because you can clearly see Jesus is just blowing their minds. He's like, I don't know where y'all got this thing that I don't talk to women. I never had a problem with that. You guys have a problem with that. So it was dogma. Dogma is what man creates. Doctrine is what God decrees. See, there's a difference. There's a difference between dogma and there's a difference between doctrine. The fact that they would not allow women equal status was a dogma. It was never a doctrine. It was never anything that God decreed. Here's another one. So, okay, I've been to Bible school and I've, you know, I listen to a lot of stuff. And people, when they talk about the temple, the temple, the temple of the Lord, okay, basically four places where the temple is, is described God gives a prescription to the Jews in the Old Testament and once in the New of what the temple looks like. So we have Exodus, 
we have Deuteronomy, we have Ezekiel, and we have Revelation. All four times there's the Bible is talking about the temple. This is what my worship house looks like in Jerusalem. Not one time does he ever say, I want a court of the women. Not one time. Not one time does God, in any of the passages that he's describing his temple, does he say, well, we need to separate the women from worship. Yet that is exactly what the Jews did. They created a court of women. And we talk about it like it was God's idea. Well, that's not God's idea. God never said separate the women from worship. It doesn't exist in his word anywhere. Okay? It doesn't exist. Yet he did it. He also, they also created a court of the Gentiles. So if you were a convert a Jewish convert, and we're a natural-born Jew, you couldn't worship where the ethnic Jews worshipped. You had to worship outside. And you're like, but wait a minute, I've converted to Judaism. It doesn't matter. You stay in the court of the Gentiles. The natural-born Jews go here. Women, you go up there. That division was never given by God. Never. And you see Jesus time and again blowing their minds, talking to women. All the time. Why? Because it was never his idea. He's the emancipator, ladies. Yes, right. He has emancipated you. Woman, you are loosed, someone said. So this woman lost her husband. There was cultural consequences. One of them was that women were considered unemployable. Can you imagine that? And that wasn't just in Israel. That was the entire, nation, that was the entire world. You can see it around the world today. Just look around. They were considered unemployable. They were allowed to be entrepreneurs, so ladies, you could fend for yourself, but you couldn't work for a man. You could go out there and do your own thing, but man, you, weren't un you were unemployable. So this woman had lost her husband. She has no means of provision. She has no way of paying her debt. Her sons are about to become indentured servants. This, again, was not a biblical doctrine. Yet, they allowed this within the culture. The Jews were allowed to indenture themselves willingly. So if I came and I said, I want to borrow $10,000, and I'll work for you for seven years. That's an agreeable situation, great. I can indenture myself willingly. That's the concept of slavery in the Bible. God never allowed the Jews to keep slaves. Did they? Yes, but he never told them to. And the idea of slavery was always indentured servants, but not indentured servants by way of debt, indentured servants by willingness. And so they were never to have a debtor, you know, you didn't pay your debt, now you're my slave. That was never the way. It was to be a willing indentured servant. And when they lent one to the other, so if a brother lent to a brother or a sister lent to a sister or any of that within the, within the context of faith, they were not even to charge interest to one another. So we see a completely different picture of how the Lord is and how man operates the system, right? So God never allowed it, but they did it. And so this man, by law, is allowed to take her sons as a consequence for her husband not being able to pay her debt. Is it right? It's not at all. Debt, so, okay, I'm going to jump to this one first. The greed, of the, the greed of this man to collect this debt, okay, he demanded immediate payment. That's the emphasis in the Bible. Her husband died, and this guy's right there at the door as soon as the, her husband's barely in the ground, and here's this guy there ready to collect the debt. Greed breeds cruelty. That's what greed does. It breeds cruelty. So you say, well, the guy had a right to collect the debt. That is true. But he did not have her. He could have gone to her and reasoned with her. Look, I know your husband's died. You know, this is the books on this. Let's work out a plan. Let's restructure this debt. Let's restructure the loan. Let me give you a little bit of time to get on your feet. You've got two healthy sons. Why don't you put them to work? You know, we'll work this out. That's a just way of doing it. But to come and take, not just, not she's just already had a loss, and now she's gonna, he's going to take basically her other means of income, which would be the health of her sons. It was wrong. 
Greed produces cruelty 100% of the time. But I wanted to throw this in here because, you know, money is involved in our lives. There's things, and this needs to be understood by Christians. Everybody say it with me. There's good debt and there's bad debt. Well, if you listen to the church today, they're going to say all debt's bad. Well, who told you that? Not all debt is bad. Debt that costs you money or makes you lose money is bad debt. Debt that makes you money is good debt. You understand? So let's give you an example of some bad debt. Okay? The couch, the $2,500 leather sofa that you finance with no payments until January is probably bad debt. Because the interest rate kicks in if you don't pay it off by then. And then the second thing is, is while that $2,500, if you can pay it off within the time and if you can afford it, hey, go buy that $2,500 leather sofa, put it in your room, bling it out, love it, polish it, shine it, take pictures of it, whatever. But the reality is, is that couch is probably is not going to be worth $2,500 in five years. It just isn't. Okay? So in, in, in realistic terms, it's something that we can consider. If it's an affordable thing for you, yes. That's not the issue. But to go in debt for a couch is not really the wisest thing to do. You understand that? Or to take interest on a couch is not the wisest thing to do. And I realize, I don't know, I'm going to step on a lot of toes here this morning. I realize this. Get ready. Here comes the big one. Okay? Your car <laughs> is bad debt. It is. I'll tell you my own story, okay? We bought a used car. We bought a used Honda. Long story. Uh, we buy this car. So I buy it. Yeah, okay, here's the payments, everything. It was worth $1,500 less a month later. It was probably worth $1,500 a month minute I drove it off a lot, which is true. How do I know this? Because we went in for an oil change, or I don't know, something was wrong with it. The horn wasn't working. So we went in, and the guy starts fixing it. And so the salesman comes. He goes, hey, man, I see you buy this car, you know? Um, but you bought a used one. Why don't you come in and let me see if I can work out a deal for you on a new one. You know, I can get you all this. I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. I'm here for an hour or whatever. So the guy goes and he works all the numbers for me. And then he goes, well, we have a problem. Your car's worth $1,500 less than, you know, you, you owe $1,500 more on the car than what it's worth. And I'm like, well, I just bought it here a month ago. Okay. So what they were telling me is we're going to take that $1,500 and roll it into the new car. Which, you know, but I, we didn't do it, long story short. But nonetheless, your car depreciates. It depreciates. It goes down in value. Now, what does that mean? Do you not have a car? Do you not have a nice car? That's not what I'm saying. You need to have a car. I realize that. You probably need to have a nice car. You probably need to finance a car. But what you should be considering as you're financing the car is the affordability of the payment. And is this the wisest use of my money? every month. I have a $600 payment plus insurance. What if I could get a $400 payment plus insurance and I take the 200 and I use it invest and invest it in something that actually makes money? Now you're thinking wise. You understand the difference? Nobody does. Yeah. What? Anybody? <laughs> Help me. I know this is crickets. I know it's crickets because we're all like, oh man, I bought a car. I can't afford, man. Dang it. That's how I was feeling. But I, I, I knew I accepted the loss. I, I knew we were, what we were going to have, but we needed to have a stable car. So yeah, there's, there's things that you have to do. I realized that. But I didn't want to stretch it and pay another $140 because that was the payment he was going to offer me. Was that He could put me in a new one for $140 more. Okay, yeah, all right. But I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm like, we're good. So that's just me. What I'm trying to get you to understand is the debt ratios and the good debt and the bad debt. Your house is good debt. If you buy a house that you can afford, your house is good debt. So we have this whole concept within the Christian church that no debt, everybody be debt free. Well, that would be gloriously wonderful if we all could be debt free. But unfortunately, that's not the reality. The message that needs to come across is that consumer debt is bad, and that's what we should get rid of. But investable debt, such as a house, is healthy debt. 
Real estate typically runs on a 10-year cycle. Let's take the recent crash. We're talking economics here, right? I got a message for you because we're talking about oil. The woman had nothing. She couldn't pay her debts. This is where we're going. If you buy a house, even if you bought it at the top of the market and it went off the cliff, if you hold that house for 10 years, the odds are in your favor that that house will recover its lost value, if not put equity on top of it. Those are the odds. So what, eight years ago, everybody's house went off the market and everybody went underwater? Well, those houses aren't underwater now. Some of them are. I got a couple of friends that are still, but they're nowhere near. So maybe they were down 60 grand and they're only down 10. Well, that's a, that's a net gain of $50,000 over the course of the last eight years. Typically, real estate runs on a 10-year cycle. It's going to go up and down. If you buy a house for $150,000, within 10 years, you're probably going to have about $20,000 in equity on it, just, just on a safe number. Houses make you money provided you buy wisely. Provided interest rate, affordability, all those factors coming in, in turn, houses make you money. That is not bad debt. Do you understand where I'm going with this? We have to understand this because a lot of people become imprisoned in bad debt and they don't understand and they think all debt's bad. No, not all debt is bad. Some debt is good. And you have to, so anyway, I'll move on past that. Next slide. Good debt, bad debt, I want you to have the concept. Next slide, there we go. She goes to the prophet, type of the Holy Spirit. She calls on her birthright. Very important. You have a birthright, Christian. Here we see the woman, at the woman with the issue of blood. I quote this all the time. I won't read it all for you just this morning, but you can see that it's in Luke chapter 8. Woman has an issue of blood for 12 years, so she had an ongoing problem. She's broke. She spent everything she had to try to solve her problem, and the Bible says she was none the better. She wasn't any better from everything that she had done. She reached out. She sees Jesus walking by. She grabs the hem of his garment, and she's healed. Well, how's that possible? And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Nobody answers. She's pointing over here. She's pointing over here. She's like, I don't know. And then she, Jesus perceived that power had gone out of her. And when she realizes that she was not hidden, she came before the Lord and honored him and said, it was me who touched you. And look at verse 48. Jesus said to her, I want you to say this word with me. Daughter, Daughter. be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Only place in all the New Testament when Jesus speaks, he calls a woman daughter. So why, why, why is that important? Because the woman understood who she was. She understood she was a daughter. She understood that healing was her birthright. She understood that provision was her birthright. She understood what the Bible says, that the son of righteousness, when he comes, will have healing in his wings. Jesus having the prayer shawl on him. And when the Jews would lift their hand, it would be wings. Where did she touch him? She touched him on the talith. She touched him on the edge of his prayer garment. That's what she said. He's got healing. This is the son of righteousness. And there's healing in his wings. And she grabbed the wing of his garment. Because she knew who she was. She knew what was hers. And she knew who he was. And he looked at her and acknowledged that. And he said, daughter. Daughter. Extremely important for you to understand who you are. Extremely important for you not to understand who you are, who you are to him, and what he has given to you. You have a birthright, and you have an inheritance. But that does not happen by default. You have to align. The woman had to put a rag on her head. She had to put a knife in her teeth. She had to get down on her knees, push her way through the crowd in order to get what was hers. Jesus didn't just wave his hand when he was passing by, and she got healed. She had to contend for it. She had to fight for it. Kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The violent take it by force. There is violent opposition to what God has for you. You must oppose it. 
And you must move through the opposition to get what is rightfully yours, or it will not happen. Come on. Some might say, how'd she get through the crowd? I don't know. Maybe she crowd surfed. You know, oons, oons, yeah, boom, maybe she's, cr- I don't know what she was doing, but she pushed through the crowd, and she grabbed him in the midst of a throng. Oh, Jesus is too busy for me. Push your way in. Get to where you need to be. It's yours. I told the story for a service. I tell the story all the time because it bears repeating. It was a man of God, very famous man of God. Got to hear him before he passed away. It was a, an honor. It was in a very small room, and they were interviewing him. Guy's very well known. And he made a statement. He said, the two greatest failings of the Christians and of the church are these. How many know when E.F. Hutton speaks, you need to listen? Okay, so here's a man who's been serving God for 50 plus years, has seen great miracles and great works of God and has accomplished great things. And he's going to tell us a secret. And I don't know about anybody else in the room, but I got it. He said, the two greatest issues, and come back next week and I'll tell you what they are. I'm just joking. (laughs) Now, he said the two greatest problems with the Christian, number one, they don't know who they are. Number one. The believer is clueless as to who they are. Oh, I'm saved. I'm a sinner saved. You don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. Until you have a revelation as a son or a daughter, and until you have a revelation of what it means to be a son and a daughter, because I hear a lot of people throwing that tag around. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the highest. Yeah, I got it. But do you know what that means? Until you understand that, nothing changes. Nothing shifts for you. And then the second thing he said is that Christians leave their harvest in the field. So we have our error. So this is, I've built this entire ministry around the statement that that prophet spoke. And so you constantly hear me, identity, 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 harvest, purpose, purpose, harvest, purpose, purpose, harvest. Because if that's the guy's legacy, and that's what he spoke forth on his way to dying, and saying, this is the word for the next generation. Know who you are and don't leave your harvest in the field. I'm like, okay. You need to know who we are. You're sons of the highest. You're daughters of the highest. You didn't ask for it. He gave it to you. And if he gave it to you, then it is your duty. I'll go higher. It is your honor to not just receive it, but begin to press in to what it means to be a son. Begin to press in to understand what it means to be a daughter. And there are answers to that question. That question is not left open-ended. God has answered that. And if you look at all the relationships where Jesus speaks about sons and daughters, and you begin to study when he uses those words, you'll understand what it means. Here's one. She knew who she was. He gives the parable of two sons. One said he would do it and didn't. The other said he would do it and he did. And he wouldn't do it and he did. Which one was the son? That's the question. So there again, we get an understanding of what it means to be a son. Whatever our father asks us to do, we do it. We're about our father's business. That's another one. Whatever we do, our father's business and what he desires has to be integrated in that. That's what it means. So we receive the title. That's step one. Begin to marinate yourself in that understanding. Just say this. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the highest. I have an inheritance. I have power in this world, I have authority in this world, and I am a ruler in the world to come. Did you feel the power? You speak your identity, and the Holy Spirit goes, yep, yep, yep. Alignment is required, it doesn't happen by default. 
Elijah says to her, what will you do for me? What can I do for you? Elijah's looking at his own limitations. He's like, what am I supposed to do? You know? And then he says, I'll tell you what. Now he has a clue. Jesus can help. I don't have the power, but he can. And he says, what do you have in your house? Say that with me one more time. What do I have in my house? And she says, your maidservant has nothing but a jar of oil. Next slide. What do you have? Next slide. <laughs> here's, the, here's the point. The prophet didn't start a welfare program. The woman's in need. She's poor. She's broke. She has nothing. And he didn't say, you know what? We're going to start a soup kitchen right over here. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking care of the poor. But what he did is he gave her an opportunity. He didn't start a welfare program. An opportunity shows up wearing work clothes. Jesus shows up wearing work clothes. Knock on the door, he's got a Dickies jumpsuit on. He's like, you ready to get to work? He's got a clipboard in his hand. That's how he shows up. He gives opportunity, you know? We think he just walks around with a wand sprinkling fairy dust on all of us. That's not how it works. It works through partnership. It works through covenant. It works through agreement. It works through process. This is what's going to happen. So there are people here in this room... Many of you, you might say, you're like, the, you're like the widow woman. You're like, man, I have nothing. I have debt. I have nothing in front of me. What do I do? You have opportunity. Some of you, you feel imprisoned in the nine to five that you work in. You feel like, I would do more, but I'm stuck in a rut, and I can't get out of it. Did you know that you live in the greatest time of opportunity that the world has ever seen? Did you know that? You have the internet. Did you know that? That sounds like work, Kevin. It is. You have the internet. And you know where you have it? You have it in your house. You have it on your phone. You have the remote control of your life right in your hand. So what are you trying to tell me? I'm trying to tell you that if you want to go to another level, there is an opportunity that you hold right in your hand. If you're asking God and believing God for a way forward, and you're looking, where are my empty vessels? Where's the cruise of oil, this little thing that I have in my house that can provide for me? Where does it exist? There it is. You ask Jesus for provision, he gives you an idea. You ask Jesus for provision, he gives you a concept. And then once he gives you the concept, you know what you're supposed to do? I have no idea how to do this. And if you don't have any, you may have a couple ideas how to start, but ultimately when he tells you something, you're not going to know what you're doing. That's when you know it's from him, because it requires you to invest yourself in him in order to get the answers. So he gives you an idea, and you go, I have no idea what I'm doing. He's like, great, Kevin, now we can start. So come to me, and I'm going to start showing you steps. And then God will start showing you steps. Unrelated, it may seem, to what he showed you. So watch this. You have the internet. Some of you are in debt. Some of you have trouble. Some of you are looking for a little side hustle. You're looking for a little side money. Great. Sell stuff. I used to be in a retail business, okay? I used to have a retail store. I used to sell stuff. I still sell stuff, but I used to sell stuff. If the internet was around when I was doing the store, which it was not, I would have never had a brick and mortar. The expenses, the insurance, the limited access to the location was way too high. You can sell stuff today, 24 hours, seven days a week, on an internet that doesn't stop. You can sell stuff. What do I sell? Well, I don't know. Find something and sell it. And if you don't even know how to set up a platform, there are platforms that exist already. All you got to do is take pictures of it and put it up. eBay, Amazon, I mean, there's tons of them now. Let go, Facebook, there's all kinds of different ones that you can use to, to sell stuff. 
Don't have an excuse. He said, man, that seems like work. That means i got to clean my garage out. Maybe. That means I need to sell to find something that I can sell. Maybe. Watch this. Okay? Create stuff. Some of you are designers. You have creative ability. You have an ability to create different things. You know, whether it's book editing, you know, maybe you're a writer, maybe you do graphic design. I don't know whatever it is that you do. If you're a creative, you know what I'm talking about. There's a site called Fiverr where you can put your services out there and people come and buy that off you. They come and pay you for it. I've used it. And you know what I find? Those guys are so overwhelmed with work, they have to, they have to delay what I'm asking them to do. There's, there's opportunity out there. I'll give you this one. My daughter paid down, ready, $10,000 in debt in less than a year. You say, Dad, Daddy paid it. Daddy didn't pay a dollar. My daughter worked a full-time job. She did research studies. She did jury, uh, jury scenarios, all these different things. And every dollar she got off it, she went to pay down her debt in a year. She paid that off because she found on the internet, she did research studies, she was trying four brands of toothpaste and she had to do it for 10 days and every day she had to do a different brand of toothpaste and write down what she liked about it. And they gave her 150 bucks. I don't wanna do four brands of toothpaste and for $150, okay, that's fine. I'll give you another one. My friend has an Airbnb, he bought an apartment up in Orlando. He decided to lease the apartment out and do it Airbnb. He grossed $40,000 in eight months doing Airbnb. We live in Miami, okay? Second only, if you own property or you own something, I'm sorry, $40,000 in eight months, that's like five grand a month. What are you gonna get for the apartment? Maybe 1,200? He's getting three to four times what he would get to rent that place out through Airbnb. You live in the greatest time of opportunity the world has ever seen. And it's sitting in your house and it's sitting in your hand. I only have a little, that's all I have. My another daughter, I'll give you another, a friend of my daughter's, Single mom, has a little girl, she's pregnant, husband's like in and out, nowhere to be found. She takes it upon herself while she's pregnant, she needs to earn money. She has a Cricut printer. Anybody know what a Cricut printer is? Okay, she has a Cricut printer. Printer. She makes $10,000 doing personalized ornaments and Christmas stuff from October, November, and December. She did $10,000 gross. Well, that's gross, Kevin. Well, how about $6,000? Let's say 40% was her cost. Would $6,000 help you? Would $30 a day, $900 a month, would that help you? This is the possibilities that you sit upon. And you say, why do you tell us this? Because God has a cruise of oil in your house. God has an empty vessel in your house. And it shows up wearing work clothes. Reduce your expenses. Leverage the opportunity into greater opportunity. Sherry and I, when we were in Washington, we drove, we got in a car, we had taken Uber and Lyft, right? Uber and Lyft. Somebody's like, I drove for Uber, it didn't make me any money. Yeah? Well, I got in a car with a 77-year-old man, former pastor. So I'm trying to find the angle with all the Uber drivers, I'm saying. Okay, I'm trying to get Jesus in here somehow, you know? And so he's like, oh, and he's driving around. I go, yeah, we're pastors from Miami. And, and he's like, oh, I used to be a pastor. So then we started having a conversation. And I said, um, and he said, he's 77 years old, guy looks great, and he's driving for Uber, he says he does it full time, he does it like a job, his wife died three years ago, his kids keep wanting him to retire, he's like, I'm not going to retire, he said, I do this like a job, he said, I've worked my whole life, and I asked him, I said, so what do you do? He said, I make between $700 and $900 a week. Okay, that's not his net, of course, so maybe his net is five to $600, and he said, I get my retirement, I get all my other stuff, but he said, I use that five to $600, at two grand a month, right? He's netting two grand a month off of driving for Uber. And he says, and I use it for my vacations. I go to see my family. I help my son with his school. I help my grandson with his basketball. I use that money for all that other stuff. Where is it? He's got a cruise of oil. What do you have? He's got a car. He's got a car. He didn't even have a car. He leased it. 
through the program, and he said, if I get 92 rides, they take 50% off the top of the cost of the car. And I said, have you ever done less than 92 rides? He said, never. He said, if I do like 156 or 216 or whatever the number is, I don't know what it is, he said it goes down to almost, they take like 80% off, off the cost of the car. What's the point? You have oil in your house. God wants his people blessed, not for the sake of blessing, but that he might propagate his gospel through you. Poverty does not glorify Jesus. Well, Jesus was poor, pastor. If God wanted me to have money, I'd have money. Well, keep telling yourself that. Keep playing the violin and keep telling yourself that because the opportunities are right in front of you. I've been an investor since I'm 19 years old. I'm not here to tell you about me because it doesn't really matter about me. The only thing I can give you is the experiences that I've had. I've learned that there's no shortage of opportunity. I'll say it again. There is no shortage of opportunity. What there's a shortage of is identifying the opportunity and being willing and ready to seize upon it. That's it. I was, used to buy and trade houses. I did it for a long time. And I'd see opportunity go by me, and I'd go, wow, there's a deal. But I wasn't ready to seize upon it. I wasn't in a position to do anything about it. So what you need to do is you need to position yourself to get ready and seize upon the opportunities that are in front of you. I shared first service. I called out some of the musicians. I said, some of you guys are vocalists. I said, what would happen if you showed a how-to video and did a series of how-to videos, how to sing, how to lead worship, how to vocalize, vocal exercises, whatever. You do a how-to video, and you do five of them. 20-minute videos, do five of them. Post them on a website, sell them for 50 bucks. You say you only sell 1,000 in a year. Well, would $5,000 in a year help you? Yeah, I'll give you another one. There's a college professor, true story. He teaches a master's class, and in his master's class, he says, I average about 20 to 30 students in this class. That's what he said. He said, so in 10 years, I would influence 300 people. He began to take the material that he knew began to format it, and began to just simple, short videos and audios, format it, and began to sell it. He sold 7,000 of them at 50 bucks a piece. Do the math. That's $350,000. You say, how did he do that? Well, he didn't give you all the plan, but he definitely told you what he did. Even if he took that and he did that over five years, even if he sold 7,000 over five years, that's still like, what, $70,000 a year? Are you with me? What do you have in your house? What are you good at? Are you an expert on, on Harley Davidson's? What if you began to, you know, I mean, I'm serious. What if you began, what, what, what are you good at? What are you capable of doing? What can you do? There's many things that you can do. There's many opportunities. You go, well, $10,000, that's not a lot of money. Yeah, a uh, thousand bucks a month will go a long way. 30 bucks a day will go a long way. It's a side hustle. We don't have an excuse. We don't have an excuse when it comes to complaining. We ask God for provision. He's going to give you an idea. And I want this to root in you. Because everyone in here is going to have a need at some point. And you're going to need to ask God for something. And he's going to present you with an opportunity that you don't like. Or that you don't want. But he's going to tell you to do it. Talked about Elijah a couple weeks ago. God fed him with ravens. Everybody say it with me. Ravens. He was an Orthodox Jew. To an Orthodox Jew, the raven was considered unclean unclean animal. Something Elijah did not want was used for him as provision. He could have went, come on, Jesus, give me some lambs, you know, 
bring cows were clean, so bring me some cows. Why do you got to bring? I don't want I'm not receiving that. It's ravens, people. God will provide for you. He will give you the means and he will show you. And he will give you an idea. He will give you a concept or he will give you an opportunity. Maybe it looks like I, I want to get a better paying job. I want a promotion, whatever it is. And then the Lord begins to lead you to invest in yourself. Oh, I don't want to pay $100 a month to invest in myself. So you don't want to pay $1,200 for a year to invest in yourself, to take your level, your learning to another level so that you can get a, a job that pays you $10,000 more a year. That's the type of foolish thinking that we have. We think in such limited terms. We have to, if you want to be successful, you must study success. Let me say it over here. If you want to be successful, you must study success. It's the only way. And not only will you have to study success, it may actually cost you a little bit of money to do it. I've, my whole life I've studied people more successful than me. I still do it. I still pay. I still pay. Because I want what they have. And if they're charging me for it, and I think what they have is going to influence me or make me more valuable, I do it. Well, I don't know about that. It should be free. It's never going to be free. Get over it. Get over it. If you want to be successful, find a level of success. You live in the land of America, okay? Let me tell you what the United States is, and you guys can all throw carrots at me and all this stuff. That's okay. But, I want, but if you'll think about what I'm about to say, you're going to understand it. And I'm going to let crickets form after I make this first statement. The United States is not a nation of economic equality. It was never founded that way. The United States is a nation of economic opportunity. The system of the United States only works when you understand it as being what it is. Economic opportunity. It's not economic equality. That's why we will, you will never see economic equality in this nation ever. Because the Constitution and the foundation of America was not laid down that way. In America, you want to start a dry cleaning business? Boom. You got the money, you got the location, you can start tomorrow. Did you know in Germany it takes you six years to become a dry cleaner? Lived in Europe for a long period of time. At the Europe is like that. You want to be a dry cleaner? Well, you got to go to school, you got to pass all these courses, and then you got to intern for three years before you can open your dry cleaning business. Not in the United States. You think you can do it? Go right ahead. Yeah, we think you can do it too. The landlord goes, hey, you ever had any experience doing dry cleaning? No, but I want to rent your store. Sure, I think you can do it. Go right ahead. <laughs> it's the same thing with restaurants, man. Oh, in Europe, they have to go to school for that. They cannot open a restaurant without having the right certification before they're ever allowed to open the restaurant. Not in the United States. You want to do it? Go right ahead. This is what this country is all about. This is, where, this is what enables someone to go from nothing to something. This is what God wants for his people. Poverty does not glorify God. Your debt, your consumer debt, he's got a way for you. We need to stop thinking that Jesus is going to show up with a check in the mailbox. It's not going to happen. Maybe it will. And if you do win the lottery, come see me because i got some ideas for you. Right? So if that does happen, you know, come see the man of God. I'm going to help you out with that. I'm going to show you some ways to use that effectively. Get around people who think different. Say, I don't have the time. Here's the big argument. I want to make this point very clear. In the United States today, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your moms and dads, my moms and dads, could not do what we can do today. 
They would work a job, they would come home, they couldn't do anything else because everything else was closed. Internet does not close, it's 24-7. You can work a job, come home, get yourself something to eat, and spend two, three, four hours a night working on what you want to build. You, it just depends on where your focus is. You can, you can do, you say, man, Kevin, I like to binge watch when I get home from work. <laughs> That's when I watch my shows, man. The question is, is how bad do you want it? That's the question. Work close. You make a sacrifice. You make a commitment. Whatever it is, what it's basically going to do, like speaking in these terms, it's going to take you a few months to set it up. It's going to take you a few months to research it. It's going to take you a few months to delineate the idea and make the idea uh, palatable or marketable or whatever. And actually, you know, and then you're going to take a little bit of time to put it together. But once you set something up, particularly on the Internet, it's something that pays over and over and over and is working 24-7 for you. Is it going to make you a millionaire? Probably not. That's incredible math. The math on that's like crazy. But it will provide for you. And it will create an income for you. Do you understand that? Why would I want an income? I'd do just fine. You want an income so that you can give more. The levels of God's blessing in the lives of his people look like this, right? God has a level for blessing, level for blessing and you know what? Here's the good news. You get to choose where you land. You choose. He has survival, he has success, and he has significance. So on the level of survival, you don't have to do a thing. God will provide for you and you will survive but you will do nothing more or barely more than surviving. You want success? Well, there's some steps involved and there's some work involved for you to level up. You understand that? What does success mean? I'm going to define it. This is biblical success. Enough for you and enough to give. That's the definition of success. It's relative. It doesn't matter. It's not an issue of millions of dollars or whatever. It's relative that you are provided for and now you're in a position where you can begin to give. That's success. Significance is you're not only provided for in giving, but you're changing the world. You're influencing the world. You're creating power and a difference in the world around you. I shared this story. Sharon, I have a friend. He pastors a church up in Lake City, I believe. And he does all these crazy things, man. The dude's like on. He's like the model that I want to follow. He does the church. He has a he has a, a extended care home for the elderly. He has a school. He was he had just opened up uh, upstairs. He'd bought a warehouse and he had just opened up like four or five apartments upstairs that he was going to use as a pregnancy center. And he was going to allow women who were pregnant that didn't have any meat. He was going to do all that downstairs. He had put a thrift store. The thrift store's model was to provide for the the, the, the expenses of the the center. And he was in the process of doing something else. And he tells me the story. He said, because I, I, he was in the process of buying a building, which he had just bought, and they were renovating it. They were renovating the building. And what they were going to do is they were going to use it as a temporary, as a transitional housing for veterans. So Lonnie tells it like this. He said, I was standing in, on the driveway, and I was staring at this building, and I was praying about it, and it's near the train tracks. And he said, I had a guy come into my office and say, hey, Lonnie, I saw you standing on the train tracks the other day. What were you doing? And he said, I was believing God for this building. And he said, because what we, and he goes, well, what do you want to do? He said, well, there's a VA hospital in our area. And he said, these vets come and they have nowhere to stay. And he said, I always find them sleeping in the woods. And he said, so I thought, what if we did this and created a transitional housing for when these guys are here, they had a place to stay while they would go and get care or whatever it is that they're getting at the VA. He said, what if I would do that? And then the guy comes to him, and he's like, well, what do you need? And he's with a, he required a $50,000 down payment. So the guy came to his office next week and put the $50,000 check on his table and said, buy the building. That's significance, people. 
Would you not like to be that significant? Do you not understand that that $50,000, it's nothing more than paper, but it will pay a dividend over and over. These are spirit-filled people that are not doing this as a social service. When these vets come in, they're going to identify the spiritual need of that person, and they're going to minister to it. They're going to identify the emotional needs of that person, and they're going to minister to it. They're going to minister to these people holistically. It's not just a, hey, let's get a warm fuzzy and let's just provide for the vets. No, we're going to take them another step further. That's his vision. That guy couldn't give that at the level of success, but he can give it at the level of significance. So why does your life need to rise? Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord your God has given you the ability to obtain wealth. Everybody say the word wealth. You know what wealth means? It means wealth. Why? So that you may establish his covenant in the land. Every single Christian and believer has the ability to generate wealth. You all have it. It is endowed to you by the Holy Spirit. It's there. It's maybe in dormant form. Maybe you've got to grow a little bit. Maybe you've got to free your mind a little bit. You've got to open up a little bit more for that stuff to begin to rise. Maybe there's some things, some constructs that you have to build into your own life in order for that to happen, but you have it. You have it. It's there. The question is, is what is it, Lord? What do I have? And you may say, what is it that I have that is the ability to generate wealth? And he may show you something. You go, I don't know what I'm doing. Good, educate yourself. Get better at that. It's one-way ride, right? We're on a one-way ride. There's no going back. We can't hit rewind. One-way ride. We want all going to stand before the Lord. We want to go, man, this is what I gave. I didn't live for myself. Here's not my shell collection. Oh, man, Lord, did you see my cars, man? You know? And it's okay to have your cars and whatever it is you have. But the extravagance of your giving should equal the extravagance of your spending. Crickets. If the extravagance of your giving does not equal the extravagance of your spending, you're in a disproportion. You're disproportionate. Just a thought. Get around people who think differently. Next slide. I'm almost done. Ready? Say this with me. I will stop waiting for what I want, and I will start working with what I have. She only had a little. She didn't have much. She only had a little. Say, I don't have enough. What do you have? I don't have enough. What do you have? What if you took the little that you had, began to see increase on it, take the increase, and begin to multiply it back? What oftentimes people do, even when they have, they're like, oh, man, I made $6,000. I'm going to go out and buy me a plasma screen that looks the size of the wall. That's the wrong thing to do with it. Now, what do you do? Take a little bit of money off the top. Okay, that's fine for yourself. But reinvest the capital. Multiply the capital. That's how you go from the ne- to the next level. She was, she was to do it by faith. She had to offer what she had. She had to trust for what she needed. She was to borrow from others. Some of you go, you don't, I don't have an idea. Borrow one. Do you know that there's no, no original ideas? Let's just be clear. There is nothing original. There is, no, uh, there is nothing new under the sun. All an original idea is, is a uh, collection of other people's ideas formed into something else. That's all it is. There's nothing original to it. Just a thought. Some of you are like going, well, what I do do I borrow? Man, I got a Cricut printer. Maybe I should start doing Cricut. But I don't know how to make money with a Cricut printer. You know how you know I'm going to help you out? I have a great website for you. It's going to help you, right? You ready for it? I'm going to spell it for you. G-O-O-G-L-E. You may not know how to do it, but somebody out there does. You may not know what your side hustle is, but somebody out there does. 
You may not know how to make money with Uber and Lyft and all that stuff, but I can guarantee you somebody's leveraging that. Somebody in Miami is leveraging that. We met a guy, with Sherry and I took a Lyft, an Uber, Uber one time we were going on a cruise. Well, I want to go on a cruise again, Jesus. Just put that out there, just throw that up there. Preferably Royal Caribbean, but you know. <laughs> and we took the ride over there, and the guy gave us a ride over there, and I was asking him, and he said he used to be an accountant for Carnival, but he made so much money doing Uber um, that he quit his job as an accountant at Carnival. And I asked him how he did it, and he basically mapped it out. He said, well, I don't do what everybody else does. He had a specific strategy. He knew where the revenue was, and that's where he went. He wasn't just all over Miami driving anywhere he wanted and all this other stuff. He knew where it was happening, and he drilled where there was oil. You understand? She was to borrow from others. Borrow an idea. Google it. Figure it out. Jesus was going to make provision. Ready? Say this with me. Jesus will make provision, but I must make preparation. You know how many times the people, and if we were to interview, would you like a million dollars? Everybody would go, yeah. What if you're not prepared to receive a million dollars? What if God really wanted to give it to you, but you were not prepared to receive it? What if you had not emulated a pattern of faith that actually would allow heaven to release that to you? What if your character was so flawed when it came to that system that your life would collapse if God put the weight of that money on you and you would literally destroy yourself? Maybe you should be working on your generosity. Maybe you should be working on the faithfulness of your current giving and giving up to the standard that God has for you. And maybe you should be working on your character at the same time of believing God. God will make the provision, but do you ha- will you make the preparation? That's the question. God wants it to happen. He wants it to happen. He wants extraordinary things. I believe God all the time. Do you know that these internet companies can do whatever they want whenever they want, it, want to do it? They have empirical cash. Okay? They have so much money that anything they decide to do, they can do it without hesitation. And my attitude is this. I want that in the, why does the kingdom not have that opportunity? Why is that not possible? Why is it that we can't say, man, we're going to plant five schools in the region and we're going to transform the culture by taking back the schools? What, what about that? What, what, what if it was saying, look, we're going we're to fundamentally start a church planting movement, and we're going to begin to plant specific types of churches in specific types of areas, and we're going to see the transformation of a culture through the schools and through the churches, which is God's means. What if we did that? I mean, where is that opportunity that where we can't say, you know what, we're going to own a TV channel. We're going to own a broadcasting network. Or we're gonna, and I'm not talking about TBN or anything like that. We're going to do something that's relevant. We're going to do something that's effective. We're going to do something different. It depends upon the lives of the people. God's people must be generous. God's people must rise to another level. And we can't just listen to it. We've got to act upon it. The opportunity of the internet, you can look at it as a problem or you can look at it as an opportunity. The choice is yours. You can watch people on their phones all day and go, oh, look at that, and get offended by it. Or you can look at people on their phones and go, there's an opportunity. The question's up to you. How do you perceive it? I believe it opened up as a global network, global opportunity to reach into places that you've never been able to reach in your lifetime. She was to borrow from others. It was vulnerable. She didn't know what she was doing, but she had to do it. The vessels had to be empty. I'm finishing right here. Well, I got one more, but it's going to be quick. The vessels, <laughs> the vessels had to be empty. If you want the oil to multiply and to run in you, the vessel, you got to get rid of your attitude. You know nothing. That's a great place to start with Jesus. I don't know anything. 
You're the only good idea I have. I have no good ideas. I know nothing. Get rid of your attitude. Stop thinking in terms of what you can't do. Start thinking in terms of what you can do. Stop thinking in terms of what happened to you in the past. Yesterday's over. Play's over. You can't change it. Right? I watched a woman whose husband died, and I watched a guy come up to her and tell her, and she was very, very upset and very depressed and very hurting. And he said, option A is dead. Option A doesn't exist anymore. We, we could change it if we wanted to, but we can't. Therefore, we must make the most out of option B. You understand that? Option A is no longer available in some instances. It's over. It's past. We can't change it. But we have option B. We have option C. We have option D. We cannot live on the option that no longer exists to us. We have to live into the options that do exist to us, and we have to make the most out of those. Come on. Attitude. Get rid of your attitude. Get rid of your emptiness. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. He's going to teach you. Study success. It was anointed. The oil was valuable, but she had to pour it out. Last slide. She was to shut the door, okay? So here she is. She makes the, Jesus makes the provision. She makes the preparation. She released what she had. So we see this same pattern over and over again, right? We see the same pattern. God, God makes a provision. God, she makes the preparation. God makes the provision. We see all that. She, the person releases. That's a pattern within Scripture, but so is this one, intimacy. That's often the most neglected one. If we can even get the Christian, most Christians will never get on the page. Never. Let's just be real. If you want to start getting on a page with this, you're going to be elite. You will be exceptional because nine out of ten believers will do nothing with the opportunities presented to them. Nine out of ten. It's like here, staring at our face in the mirror, leaving, forgetting what we look like. We don't take the word, seize upon it, and do something with it. Or better yet, even if you don't know what to do with it, you seize the word and offer it. Lord, I received this word, but I don't know what to do with it. Is there anything you have for me in this? What would you have me to do? Let him release. Let him speak back to you. She released what she had and she waited in intimacy. A big part of it is intimacy. Relating. You dependency upon him. He supplies seed to the sower. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to give. Anybody ever feel that way? Ask the one who gives the seed to the sower to give you something to give. I knew a guy who was in poverty. He had nothing to give pastor was talking about this, and he said, Lord, I need a seed to sow. And the Lord told him, pull the, bucket off, pull the button off your jacket. This is a literal true story. And he pulled the button off his coat and he gave it. Because he didn't know what to give, and he wanted to give. And the pastor was talking about seed to sow. No, am I telling you to pull the button off your coat? No, that's not what I'm telling you. But the guy was broke, right? He had nothing to give, and he said, but I promise I will give. The Lord said, take the button off your coat. And he pulled the button off his coat as an offering, and as, an, as, a, as a statement of faith that I will be a giver. Ask the one who gives seed to the sower. You don't have any seed? Ask Jesus for seed. More than your provision, seed is what you need. Because the seed is what is multiplied. The seed is what returns. He gives seed to the sower and bread for food. And he supplies and multiplies the seed that you have. It increases the fruits of your righteousness so that you're enriched in everything with all liberality, and that because it's thanksgiving to be given unto God by us. She was to sell what she had to get out of debt, and she was to live off the rest. Here's the point. Jesus didn't just meet the need. We have to start thinking about God just meeting our need. We have to start thinking about God creating a river of income into our lives that doesn't just meet the immediate and the temporal need, but provides over and over and over and over again.
Nobody does business with God and breaks even. As you know that. So I pray I have encouraged you this morning. Do we have a prayer team? We do. What are you pointing at, dear? Me? Pray. Oh, she's telling me to stop teaching and pray. So, <laughs> Is that what you're trying to tell me? Wind it up? Okay. I love my wife. She's signaling me from the sidelines. Now she's going to get out. Why did you do that? Why did you call me out? I don't know. You're making all these crazy hand gestures. Land the plane, pray. I don't know. What does that mean? Jesus is Lord? I, I don't know. <laughs> she's going to come over. Uh-oh. Here she comes. <laughs> Check her for weapons, people. Check her for weapons. <laughs> Ah, pray for the Let people. Stand up yes, for, yes, my love. Seed, yes, yes. Come on. All right, you want to pray? Yes. She's going to pray for you. Come on. All right, why don't we stand?
not have provision. Lord, you see, you're the God who says you're El Roy, the God who sees. When Ishmael was told to be cast out, you said you see her, you saw her, uh, Hagar, you saw her, and you provided for her. So Lord, those that feel that they're in a place of famine, in a place of desert, in a, a place where there's no food and there's no provision, Lord, you are the provider. You are the God who says you will sustain and you will supply. You are the God who supplies. So right now, Father, we believe that something powerful, a seed, a small, seemingly insignificant mustard seed for some people is going to come. But ideas are going to burst forth with hearts that are hungry to give, not to buy the plasma TV, but to be a giver in the house of God, to be a person of change, a significant changer, world changer, significance. That's the prayer of significance, of world changing, of city changing, of church changing, of environment changing, of atmosphere shifting. So, Lord, we say we're those people, and we believe you right now with our hands yes, to Lord. receive seeds, to receive creative ideas, to re receive special impartations of something we never thought of, but it's coming to us. And, Lord, we believe that right now. Right now, it's coming. And it's going to come. Yes. It's going to come. And, Father, we break off, we repent. I just feel like we need to repent, too. So, Father, right now, the repentance of our heart is, Father, forgive us for not believing you to be a big God. Amen. Father, forgive us for only seeing what's in front of us and not looking up to the hills from where our help comes from. Lord, we, we, we've been distracted. We've been down amongst the people, and we've seen the confusion, and we've gotten distracted, and we thought that you were a God of laughter, that there wasn't more. There's always more in your house. So, Lord, we repent for not being believers. Lord, we repent for not believing that the things of God are ours and they are yes and amen. And we can have them if we choose to pull them and to reach for them and to press in and to crawl forward and to jump over chairs and whatever necessary, Lord. We repent for not doing it because you are a good, good God. You are a generous father. You are lavish your children with good things. You lavish us. And so, Father, we repent, and now we open our hearts for lavishing. Lord, lavish on your good, all your goodness upon us, Lord. You are a wonderful God. You are full of wonder. You are full of provision. You are full of goodness. You are full of money. You are full of influence. You are full of power. And so, Lord, we believe you for miracles to begin to happen in our lives and in our finances. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on. All right. Well, that was, the, that was worth it. <laughs> let me bless you. We have a prayer team available if you need prayer for anything. And let me bless you. Just open your hearts and receive. The Lord loves you so much. Blessed in your coming in. Blessed in your going out. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. And may He give you peace in every way. And may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.